Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. How's it going, everyone, and welcome. You are watching Destination Draft Day. I'm Michael Rockman alongside Nick Durst. We're here to talk to you about all things NFL and NFL Draft. Nick, a very eventful weekend. How's it going for you? It's going well. Uh, Giants, my Giants, they uh, almost pulled out against the Rams, but you know, I guess being uh, in first place for Trevor Lawrence, we're also one game out of the playoffs and being in first in the NFC East isn't exactly the worst place to be, uh, but I, I missed the Jets show. We let the two Jets fans, Brian and, and Joe, come on. And, of course, they had uh, some great analysis. And for a look at the game of football from a coaching, scouting, and administrative perspective, go to LendFootball.com today, from high school, college, to the NFL, from recruiting to the NFL draft to free agency, from pregame to postgame film analysis to all the insights, Cooper players, teams, Coaches and Schemes, LandryFootball.com is your source for all things football. Thank you for joining, and please help us spread the word as you can catch us on the Chris Landry Twitch channel at www.twitch.tv slash chrislandryfootball, and you can listen to this podcast on your old device by signing up for Landry Football's conference call wherever you get your podcast. Obviously, the big news coming out of the weekend was that it finally happened we had a bit of a COVID-19 outbreak across the league. Uh, Titans, they got all knocked out there. Their game canceled this week versus the Steelers. That's going to move to week seven and the week seven matchup between the Titans and between the Ravens and the Steelers moving to week eight. And your Patriots, Cam Newton, he gets COVID-19. So they moved the Chiefs-Patriots game to tonight, Monday Night Football, which I'm sure CBS is going to love that, having a primetime game. But ASPN's got to be pretty annoyed because I think most people are going to go ahead and watch that over the originally scheduled game on ESPN. Uh, but I don't know what's going on, Michael. Why is Jared Siddham not starting? Go with Brian Hoyer? I think that's like an automatic loss or anything. Yeah, I am very confused by the Hoyer start. I'm not sure where that's really coming from. Sounded like this whole offseason it was between Siddham and Newton once Newton got signed. And before then, it sounded like the Patriots are going with Stidham. I feel like this 
could potentially be one of those situations where it's really just a smokescreen and we see Stidham come out tonight and then everyone's saying, oh, wow, look at Bill hiding who his starting QB is until kickoff. What a genius move to get any advantage over the best team in the league. But if they go with Hoyer, I guess the thought process behind it is just you have a guy that's been around for so long that you know is capable of at least maintaining the system and isn't going to come out and just completely fall on his face. Whereas Stidham, it, it would be his first start, so it could be one of those situations where coming in against arguably the best team in the league, a very capable team that's going to probably get some early touchdowns. You don't want to have Stidham trying to throw himself back into a game where he may then end up struggling and then ruin all potential development that they've had with him. But I don't know. If there, if there were some odds being given to me where – Jared Stidham has like these very low odds of starting and you could get a nice payday for it or something. I'd probably look into it. Cause I, I just don't trust that bill is really just going with Hoyer tonight. I don't know. It's, it's very confusing. Maybe they bring out the, uh, the wildcat offense. I don't know. I thought, see, like I thought Stidham was going to start, come out, pull off the upset, get the big win. And you know, his era is going to start in New England, but uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't like what to see from Hoyer. You remember, like in 2017 playoffs, when Hoyer was on the starting quarterback for the Texans, and he was so bad that they pulled him to put JJ Watt in that quarterback. I mean, that's yeah, that's what we're talking about here with Hoyer. Here. Yeah, like, Bill loves him. Bill loves Hoyer. From what I've heard from people, they've said, "Oh, you know, this is just a move to keep our young QB like out from this game and kind of keep him protected." But we've seen Bill go with you know Jacoby Brissett in one of his first games as an NFL player, and he had a great game. It's just about scheming around him with Damian Harris back healthy tonight. I mean, I think the Patriots are going to be very reliant on the run with Harris, Michelle, uh, Burkhead, James White's back in the lineup, so it's going to be a lot of quick passes. They have the guys that I think you can keep this game out of Stidham's hands and still keep it close. I understand that you're trying to really be aggressive. Set of starts to come out right away. Throws a screen pass to James White, gets his first completion, and you're off. That's uh, that's feel. We got some commenters here, of course. We got to dress Michael shirt as usual. ML ML girls one not feeling the shirt, but Exo Samantha is feeling the shirt. So there you go. We got we got a 50-50 split here. You could tweet us. Let us know if, what, what your thoughts are on anything or Michael shirt, of course. Uh, I'm at Nick underscore Durst, and Michael is at Mr. underscore NFL Draft. So really interesting stuff there. Uh, yeah, so that was like the, the main thing coming out of this weekend. Um, but we got to get into some, some big takeaways here. Uh, my number one takeaway is that Oklahoma, they're not good, and I'm very happy about it. They're not making the college football playoff. I'm so happy that we're wrong on that. Uh, so watch out. The Big 12 is open, and anybody can win it except Oklahoma. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Oklahoma could still win the Big 12, but they're not going to be in the college football playoff, which is a good thing. Yeah, and it seems like the only team that really has a chance at this playoff now may be Oklahoma State. You know, going undefeated in the Big 12, you still earn it. But if this Big 12 conference doesn't really have any great teams, teams like Oklahoma don't meet expectations, Team like teams like Texas are blowing random games to teams like TCU – they're really only going to get by if they have one undefeated team in Oklahoma State. Right. Three games in is the only one left. So it's, all, it's a lot of pressure on Gundy and his guys because, you know, the Big 12 is going to lose a lot of money if they're not in the college football playoff. 
this obviously opens up the door for the Big Ten to definitely get somebody in despite the late start. SEC has got to be loving this because they're looking at potentially getting two teams in. And same for the ACC. I think it's very possible. Said before, a one loss Notre Dame, one loss to Clemson. They can definitely, certainly get into the playoff, depending on how everything else shakes out. Uh, but good to just you know have that full slate of, of weekend games all week, Saturday and Sunday, NFL and college football. Uh, and the other thing is Mississippi State, Michael. They're for real. Uh, I think they're just uh, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Not necessarily win a national championship, but. I think they're going to be a good program moving forward. LSU's defense just is not that good. I don't know. Mississippi State lost last week to Arkansas. I think that's yeah. a pretty big blow. This this offense is impressive. There's a lot of nice weapons there. But at the same time, there's a lot of great defensive teams in the SEC. And when you get a nice right. defensive squad that has a lot of continuity throughout it, you're going to see this offense start to struggle. So Mike Leach has to adapt, go against his typical – patterns and find new ways to succeed i believe yeah we'll see obviously lsu not looking good right now uh defensively uh and then of course the nfl you have some other take my other takeaways where i'm surprised that the cardinals weren't able to uh to win their game uh herbert in loss he looked good again the chargers i think are definitely in good hands we'll see the rookie of the week here, but coming up soon, but pretty sure it's going to be Joe Burrow getting his first win. Could have had many. Uh, and, and I'm not surprised they called it on my show, my Sunday show, you know, Marino football, Joe Calabrese at 11 a.m. Eastern here on the network. I said, I think the Browns, I think it's going to be a high scoring game. Bell's going to have two touchdowns. He ended up having two receiving touchdowns and a huge 50 yard run. Uh, the Browns for the first time in a long time, uh, multiple games at over 500. So I think they seem to have steered the ships here and might be headed towards the right direction. Uh, but the Cowboys, you love to say it, looks like they're they're not heading in the right direction. Yeah, this Cowboys secondary is They keep getting rough. close games and they, they keep losing them, and I think that's great. Yeah, this cornerback yeah, uh, unit you know, is You saw them last week versus the Seahawks, and uh, yeah. Yeah, you saw them versus the Seahawks. They were giving up points, like not like nobody's business, and the Browns just let them up. Yeah, the cornerback unit, it's not where it needs to be. You look at guys like Trayvon Diggs, just completely not performing to expectations. And then, you know, Chidoya Uzi, who was supposed to take over as the number one cornerback spot until really Diggs came along, there's just not been much development in that regard, and Uzi could be a solid cornerback too maybe, but at the same time, the struggles this season don't give you any hope for him to really be a long-term starter. This Cowboys secondary is going to need a lot of revamping. The strong safety spot has not not met expectations either. There's, you know, just a lot of question marks about the defense in full. The linebacker core has been hit with both injuries and struggled play by guys like Jalen Smith. And really, it's just this defensive line has been all right. But that's about it for this team. So they really need to go into this offseason with the idea, hey, if we want to be anything in the NFL, in the NFC, in the NFC East, we need to really put together this defense and come out stronger next year. Yeah, and speaking of the, the NFC East, I think it's time for Washington to consider starting Alex Smith because I think this division is theirs for the taking. Uh Haskins was okay. Uh, 
against the, the Ravens and defeat. He knew the Ravens were to come out and, uh, of course, want to get a big beat down after losing to the Chiefs. Haskins, I mean, he had a, he had a good game. Um, 32 45 for 32 14 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions. But I just think that if, if they want to win now, you put that veteran in there in Smith uh, and just got to take him to the next level. But you got to consider, Michael, what is that going to do for the development of Dwayne Haskins, who finally is feeling comfortable knowing he's going in there each week and starting? So it's kind of like a, a catch. You know, you, you want to go for the future or you want to try to win now, which you can because you're, you're, you're right there very close to first place behind the Eagles for the NFC lead, despite the fact that you only have one win. Yeah, I'm a big Haskins fan, and I feel like this Washington team is not built for any QB to succeed. If you put Alex Smith back there, I feel like you're just putting his leg back in danger. That leg is not thick enough yet to be healthy. Probably Kyle Allen would step in if they were to go in a new direction after after Haskins. If Smith gets back and the leg's fully recovered, then, yeah, I could see him starting if he's really proven to shake off most of the rust. But I think the biggest issue right now is the offensive line, and that needs to continue to grow throughout the season. But really it's going to be something that won't get addressed very heavily until the offseason. So, you know, Haskins had a good game. Rivera supposedly had a meeting with Haskins where he said, hey, you know, if you don't improve your play, your job's not going to be there for the entire season. And, you know, I I don't want this to happen, but I don't think Haskins finishes the season as a starter if that's the case because I'm a big fan of him. And, again, the supporting cast is just not where it needs to be for a young quarterback if you want them to succeed. What do you think about Kyle Allen? You think he could succeed? Oh, Kyle Allen's not going to succeed either. This team is not good, and the offense needs to be improved if you really want to see success out of your quarterback position. I think the NFC East, though, I think seven or eight wins might get you in this year as as the division winner. Yeah, but I don't think it comes from Washington. I think they had a very nice outing week one against Philadelphia, and then after that they have not looked very good. They They had a strong performance against Baltimore, I guess, but at the same time, it was pretty handily Baltimore's. Right. Looks like uh, it looks like it's going to be uh, a tough road ahead for for Washington, and they're going to have a lot of difficulties if they <laughs> they want to contend this year. They got to build the roster up better. Uh, one team that is building their roster well, it's the Miami Dolphins. They lose to the Seahawks, but. You know, Fitzpatrick had one of those Fitzpatrick games, 315 yards passing, but he throws two picks, no touchdowns. And then he has a he has 47 yards rushing with a rushing touchdown. Are we going to see Tua anytime soon, Michael? Or do you think they're going to just let Tua sit this whole season, maybe play in December and make sure he's fully healthy moving forward? I think they'd like to see Fitzpatrick keep the job for the season, but I would love to see Tua in this team. I think it's young enough to where – Building on success with Tua right now is probably the best way to go about it. You look at most QB situations, even when they sit for a year, they most likely aren't going to be coming in and winning in their first year as a starter. So if you really want to have this chance at contending in Miami and you think Tua could really take that team to the next level, I think you want to get him a good amount of starts so he has that experience coming into next season. So you know, we'll probably have a bit of a waiting period for the Dolphins until they decide to go about it. But there's this one point in the schedule where they face the Jets twice in three weeks. I think that's a good time where you should say, all right, let's put let's put two in. Let's see how he, how he does. 
and let's ride from there and let's let's see him as the new face of the franchise. Fitzpatrick has embraced the idea of being his mentor, so I don't think he'd be you know salty about it to where it ruins any team chemistry or anything about that. Fitzpatrick is a very good veteran to have on a team. He's a fine spot starter, but you have to start looking ahead to the future, and Tua is the future for the Dolphins. Certainly, definitely, that, that would seem to be the case. Uh, other other notable, you know, games this weekend. Of course, we mentioned before the Rams beat the Giants. Daniel Jones showed what he usually does: the flashes that he could run. Uh, he had the fumble early in the game. He recovered that, and then the game ends with him throwing an interception. I know you're a big fan of Daniel Jones, but I think he really needs to start being a little smarter in the fourth quarter when it comes to to throwing the ball. I think, and, and he's trying to get a touchdown there. But this is this is two times here. You can think back to the game against the Steelers where he's throwing that interception in the, the red zone, and it's, it's just costing the team with these turnovers. Uh, I do like what I'm seeing him with him running, but uh, I, I think especially in some of those scenarios in that game against the Rams, he was shredding them on that drive running, so maybe he should have looked to run there at the end. Uh, but, you know, it's always tough there with these athletic quarterbacks and what they should – look to do. Uh, I think the perfect example of an athletic quarterback that everybody should emulate uh, is Aaron Rodgers. He came in the league, he was able to run, uh, and he became much more of a pocket passer, but if he's got to make things happen, he's able to get out of the pocket and, and make turn into the positive yards, but Aaron Rodgers is one of the best when it comes to ball security. I think he's averaging like maybe two or three interceptions per year over the past 10 years, so uh, I think ball security, not just for Daniel Jones, but a lot of young quarterbacks like Sam Darnold, uh, is something that needs to be addressed uh, much earlier on in, the, in these guys' careers during their development. Yeah, I, I'm not as big a fan as of Daniel Jones as most people, actually. But at the same time, I do think that there is some hope still there. Definitely needs to control his turnover rate a little bit, continue to work on that in that regard. But at the same time, this giant supporting cast isn't ultimately the best. I think the wide receiver weapons are pretty solid. The offensive line's improving. The interior offensive line still has a lot of struggles that I think is the biggest issue for Jones in handling. He hasn't done a good job of developing a way to deal with that pressure. And right now, you know, with no Barkley back there, they really lack an elite weapon. But at the same time, I think there are enough pieces to have some better play than Daniel Jones has given. I don't think they're going to look to move on from Daniel Jones unless they find themselves in a premier spot for a quarterback, which could very likely happen. But at the same time, you know, it's kind of the question. Let's say they fall at number two and it, it comes down to, hey, do we think that Justin Fields or Trey Lance is the guy and worth moving on from a guy that we already liked prior if that's the case, you know, I'm not going to say they're wrong for it. We saw the Cardinals do something similar whenever they moved on from Josh Rosen after one year. I was someone that said, hey, don't give up on Rosen yet. But obviously it's paid off. Kyler Murray looks like a stud. Uh, despite, you know, maybe their their little bumps in the roads, I think it's very obvious that Kyler Murray is going to be a great QB for this team going forward, whereas Rosen is now mm-hmm. fighting for a practice squad spot week in, week out for the Buccaneers. So, you know, if you find yourself really sold on a guy, it's worth making that selection. It's just, you know, it's hard to give up after you spent a big draft pick on a guy. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Giants decide to do. 
based on where they fall and where they end up and where what happens to Jones if they do decide to move on. Right. I mean, obviously, two games in a row with not one touchdown, not who you're looking for out of your offense. So something needs to, to change there. Uh, a team that I was very high on this year, the Bears, picked them to lose yesterday because Nick Foles started. Nick Foles did not have a good game, one touchdown, one interception. I definitely think by week six they're going to go back to Trubisky. Uh, I just think, you know, it's people like pull the hairs out of Trubisky. He still gives you a little more in the, the run-pass option game than Nick Foles because Trubisky, you know, say what you want about his throwing. He still has that ability to, to run a little bit. I think they're going to end up going back to him, but the Colts, they pick up the victory there. And then so you, you got to keep an eye on Josh Allen here with the Bills because I don't think he's going to be the MVP, but he's going to be he's going to be up there this year. Another great game passing and throwing. Bills win again. They're looking like they're the class the AFC East. Uh, but I I do really like what I've been seeing out of the Raiders this season and John Gruden. I think they have a good chance to potentially get into the playoffs as that number uh, seven team around uh, nine and seven or so. I, I like I like the way Gruden's building that team, and you know they they drafted a million wide receivers as usual, and I think they continue to do that. But it's it's paid off for the most part just because their offense has looked pretty strong. Yeah, the Raiders need to bounce back a little bit after a struggling performance against the Bills. But there is a lot of things to like about this team. The defense needs to continue to improve. Secondary could use some help in coverage. But other than that, some strong signs for a team that was looking a bit lost once Gruden first came in. And now there's uh, definitely some hope there. Yeah, and Adam Gaze, you guys talked about last week that he should have been fired. He's not fired. The guy that's on the hot seat is Quinn with the Falcons. Big game tonight for for the Packers and the Falcons. And, you know, I, even if the Falcons got off to a 30 nothing lead, I don't think it's safe with the way that the Packers would air it with uh, Aaron Jones, who I think is a good chance to leave the league in rushing this year. And um, Aaron Rodgers are playing. And it's crazy because, if I'm not mistaken, their first two the, their first two round picks, obviously they took Love at the quarterback, and they take a running back at the number two in the number two round, who's not even playing anything more than special teams. So basically you got two draft picks, your top two draft picks who contributed nothing to the team, and the Packers are looking better than ever. And of course last year they're only one way away from the Super Bowl. Yeah, and you know, there were questions about this draft, but I think the fact is they have plenty of talented guys on this roster that are key to the success of their team. So they got away, I think, with one a little bit with how they're drafting for the future. And we'll see in a few years, maybe one offseason later, how it really panned out with this draft. I would like to see them get another receiver, but Rodgers seems to be making do with guys like Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez Scanling. And yeah, you know, every year the Packers end up getting a, a drawn miles and coming out anywhere yeah. and just making these big plays. Uh, but I think it's just very interesting. I think I think Jordan Love being drafted has lit a spark under Rodgers like we haven't seen in a long time, and he's he's, he's playing great, and it, it's just showing with the record. So that, that'll be a fun game tonight. Eagles, they squeak it out. They're in first place now. They beat the, the ravished 49ers who pulled Nick Mullins after a late interception. CJ Beathard comes in, leads him right down the field, and they uh they score. But then uh they they go for they go for a two-point conversion, they don't get it, and they do some like Robbie Gold came and do some like weird drop kick onside kick, which was just atrocious. And that 
that didn't work at all. Panthers, they get the win. We mentioned the Cardinals struggling as of late. Tampa Bay, they beat the Chargers, but Herbert, Herbert and uh, the Chargers still still impressing. Vikings, they get the win. You mentioned that was going to be the 0-3, 0-3 matchup against the Texans. Texans are 0-4. Texans, they got a great chance if they're going to if they're going to be like the top five of the draft next year, they got a superstar talent, and they could easily turn it around real quick in one year, I think, because well, they're not going to be drafting a quarterback, I don't think. Their first-round pick is the Dolphins, so they have nothing to gain oh, from wow. a bad season. So, yeah, they are all they put all of it into Laramie Tunsil, and it's not going well. I mean, Tunsil's right, been so fine, but the offensive the Dolphins, line is still wrong. The Dolphins are going to be hoping that the Texans continue to lose that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right, and with Bengals, we mentioned Joe Barra won. So this might be a good time for us to look at some of your rookies of the week here, Michael. Yeah, and Joe Burrow had a very strong week, but sadly he got snubbed for the rookies of the week. First off, we're looking at Justin Herbert, 20 out of 25, 290 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Yeah, they didn't come away with the victory like Joe Burrow with the Bengals, but Herbert looks very impressive, and this guy – you know, when I was evaluating him, I thought to myself, there's questions about whether or not he really takes over right away just because I think he's still a little bit underdeveloped. And he's looked great. He's looked very calm, composed, and he's made some great throws. He's relied on his veterans, but at the same time, he's made the most of it. A very good outing for Justin Herbert, and the Chargers are looking promising in the coming years. Next up, we got Antonio Gibson, who had 46 rushing yards, 82 receiving yards, and a touchdown. He was a big piece of Washington's offensive success, showed his versatility in the offense, and he is a key piece for what Washington will hope to be a developing season as it goes along. C.D. Lamb, I forgot to fill in the stats for this one, so sorry they're a bit inaccurate. He had five catches, 79 yards, and two touchdowns. A big outing for C.D. Lamb to prove himself as a key piece of this wash or of this Dallas offense, Dak maybe didn't need as many weapons, had Gallup and Cooper, but they decided to take Lamb when he fell surprisingly in the first round. Has proven to be worth it so far. A very good outing for the guy. Next up, we got Justin Jefferson, who had four catches, 103 yards. Jefferson has been dominant and has been just a key receiver for this Vikings offense. When he was first drafted, a lot of people knew well. And a lot of people knew very well he would be starting in place of Stephon Diggs. He has really overtaken that job now, taken it from Ola B.C. Johnson, and has shown out very well looking at how he has exploded on the stat sheet. He's able to get the ball deep, get the ball in short areas, and make big plays off of it. Justin Jefferson is just an elite talent. And watching this Vikings offense, it's very fun to see Young weapons really contribute, and Jefferson has done it time and time again, and I expect that to continue as the season goes along. For my last rookie of the week, we got Patrick Queen, the linebacker for Baltimore. You look at what he did against Washington, he got 12 tackles in total, but also he is making some very key goal line stops to really keep Washington out of this ball game and force them to going to field goals and really stalling their plays. Queen came off of a struggling week against the Kansas City Chiefs and has bounced back since. He is going to be a key linebacker for Baltimore going forward, whether it's this season or in the future, and he has proven to be a stud up until this point. 
Yeah, so we'll start at the beginning. We got some people pissed here if you're not putting Burrow. Burrow threw for over 300 yards. It's going to be – I got he's got the he got the extra game here, but who who do you right now is the leader in the clubhouse for the, the rookie of the offense, rookie of the year? Is it Burrow? Is it Claudio Tolero? Or is it Herbert? I, I think it's going to be Burrow. I think he's definitely proven to be a very capable quarterback and has this offensive line improves hopefully with – some uh, more consistent weeks like this one where they're allowing Joe Mixon to really set himself up as a star player that he is. You can see that this Bengals offense will get going. Joe Burrow is going to make the most of any situation that's given to him, but with a good pocket, I think he's going to be capable of putting up some great plays. And I said it in the preseason, I think this guy is going to break the rookie touchdown record right now, six touchdowns through four weeks. So he's not on track at the moment, but I think we generally see a lot of these rookie QBs start to ramp up as the season goes along. So look for Burrow to have some big weeks coming up that really put him in position to overtake that record. All right, there you have it with that. Uh, the other thing that I thought was great with the Vikings this week is obviously Jefferson's been great. They finally got Adam Thielen back in the mix. He had the big touchdown. And I think that's uh, as good of a wide receiver duo as you're gonna you're gonna find around the league right now, Thielen and, and Jefferson. Yeah, and uh, you know Thielen is probably taking him under his wing as a mentor. But you saw it last week, Jefferson. Whenever he scored his touchdown, had done a little dance, uh, and Thielen this week tried to do it not as well. So there's some mentorship going both ways. But it's fun to see the Vikings having fun. You know, now one and three. Let's see if they can bounce back. I'm a big fan of Mike Zimmer, big fan of uh, a lot of the guys on this Vikings roster. So I hope that they can bounce back and really find themselves in position to make playoffs. Yeah, no doubt about it there. Like we mentioned that, the seventh seed of the playoffs, that's going to be a big help. Uh, Jefferson, he's certainly not overrated. He's not underrated. He's properly rated. These are guys on your list you're seeing here that are basically doing what we expect them to do, especially the big names at the quarterback position. And I don't think Tyrod Taylor is going to end up starting again once he, he returns. I don't see there any big reason for that. But who are who have been some of like the overrated or underrated prospects uh, you, you've seen so far you know, for, the, for the, this, this upcoming season and draft? Sounds good. Nick, you're going to be disappointed in me. For overrated, we got K.J. Costello, the Mississippi State quarterback, had a great outing week one against LSU, but I think based on the stats, he's impressive. He's a very strong QB, and he's a fine college quarterback. But at the same time, looking at what he has done tools-wise and really just what happens on film, I don't think Costello is worth the hype that he has gotten so far. He's most likely not going to find himself up in the round one section like a lot of people have started to predict after his first week. Costello will likely put up numbers that are very similar to what we've seen so far, and he's going to have some great weeks going forward. But this guy does not have the skill set, I believe, that will have him as one of the elite QBs of the class. Next, we got Charlie Kolar, and I know he hasn't really been getting as big a hype, not really a big name in the tight end class, but at the same time, I think he's been given one of the top five, top ten tight end spots. And I just think when you spend a draft pick on a guy, you're looking for some upside. And I think Kolar kind of offers very little of that. I think what you see is what you get, and you're not going to get a lot more than that. He's well-rounded, 
and that's always nice. But at the same time, you aren't going to get this game-breaking tight end in the receiving game. You're not going to get this stud in the blocking game. You're just going to get kind of an average weapon. So if you're looking at this guy day three, fifth, sixth, seventh round, maybe late fourth, that's fine. But at the same time, I just think currently where his draft standing seems to be, he's a bit overrated. The next guy on my list is Jackson Carmen. Watching Clemson's game, I've seen him kind of struggle in terms of passing off assignments, trying to adjust for new blitzes, adjust for blitzers coming from the second level. And while he has the athleticism to make it work, I think he's very raw at the moment. So right now I've seen him kind of labeled as the offensive tackle three behind Sewell and Raidens. I think Eichenberg is the guy that should be offensive tackle number two with Raidens coming in probably around number three. I think Carmen falls a little bit further down the list. He's talented and he has the athletic upside that will probably entice NFL teams and keep him as a first rounder when the time comes. But right now, I just think he's not where he needs to be. And thus, I think he's a little overrated coming into the season. And for my fourth guy, Israel Mukwamu. For him, he's got the size. He's got some of the highlights. And he's got some very fine athletic ability. But at the same time, we're just seeing a lot of raw plays where he just doesn't offer the coverage capabilities of a star corner like you'd want. I don't even think he's the best cornerback on his team. J.C. Horn has really kind of taken that spot and shown to be a more efficient cornerback. Mukwamu is going to entice teams with his size. And, you know, what you think whenever you think of a 6 score guy who's not really as good a cornerback as you would have hoped, you think, okay, put him as a dime defender, kind of let him cover tight ends, keep him in that area to where he's really just becoming a – cornerback mismatch and then against Florida he struggled against Kyle Pitts which really kind of makes questions about that role as well so you know his stock is going to continue dropping until he fixes his game up a little bit and at the moment McQuamu who was someone that I really wanted to see strides out of coming into the season it's just not where people want him to be if you really want him in the first round second round even don't be, don't be surprised if KJ Costello has a big game next game because he's a big fan of this show, so he's obviously watching. Uh, I think it's always interesting with Mike Leach, his players on offense, because uh, they'll probably get the stats that are there, but there's going to be some worries, of course, as to, okay, are they actually good or is it just the system? Uh, ML Brawls says Costello is a stud. Remind to Minshew, of course, Minshew was – Leach's quarterback at Washington State. What do you think about that comparison there, Michael? Uh, I don't really see the comparison. I think Minshew was a lot smarter with his passes, a lot uh, more capable with handling the ball, and I think he offered more arm talent as well. I think Costello has more arm strength, but I think Minshew was able to fit the ball into tighter tighter holes and really make some more precise passes than Costello's done so far. All right, moving on to your underrated players here so we'll start out with mac jones the quarterback out of alabama i think this guy has really met expectations and when you do that as an alabama qb it doesn't really entice a lot of people when you're just kind of doing a great job because you're expected to however mac jones has had some excellent ball placement and some really impressive throws he's got a great team around him i understand that and it's why i think he's underrated as an alabama qb you got to really be a star in order to shine out and show 
that you're worth a draft pick, but Mac Jones has had some great throws. If you watch him, I think his connection with Jalen Waddle just shows how talented he is. Waddle is probably going to be the wide receiver one or wide receiver two in this class, but Mac Jones is just making some great plays and allowing these speed threats and very polished receivers to make plays and work to their skill set. I think Jones is someone that could easily be a day two quarterback that kind of comes in and is immediately competing for a starting job that people maybe didn't expect. So if he continues to grow, leads Alabama to some big games, maybe leads Alabama to the championship, we could be talking about Mac as a late first rounder, maybe even earlier wow. if he continues to grow his game. I'm surprised. Up, I'm surprised that you got another quarterback from Alabama, so highly rated. Tua was really their only big time. It's really the only big time quarterback prospect Nick Saban's ever had. To me, Mac Jones profiles as Greg McElroy, uh, as far as a pro level goes. He could be like a, a third string or maybe a second string backup. Uh, I guess real. I guess it all depends on, on the program though. Uh, but you know, if he's Greg McElroy, that's not too bad. That means Mac Jones is going to be a highly paid analyst in the SEC network. <laughs> yeah, and you know what's funny is watching him last year. I was a bit disappointed with him. I thought they didn't really meet expectations. He had some good throws, but there were a lot of plays where I was just like, all right, you know, it's very clear the difference between Mac Jones and Tua. But now, watching this year, he seems to be just completely better. He's Mm -hmm. owning this offense, really the star player of this offense for the passing game. There are definitely some key pieces that he gets to have the luxury of using, but he has taken advantage fully, put up some great games. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens when Alabama faces some of the better teams in the SEC and just how well he is able to do against those stronger defenses. But against Texas A&M, which I think is a pretty good team already, he showed out and just showed no signs of slowing down. For the next guy on my underrated list, I got Elijah Moore, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss. I think the reason he's a bit underrated right now is because his frame is just not what you'd want out of a receiver. I think he's about 5'8" probably in the range of about 170 pounds. So he's definitely not going to wow anyone with his frame. But at the same time, he has put up insane stats. And I think everyone who is a defensive coordinator comes in knowing that this guy is going to be the key part, key focus of their offense, the star receiver. And in attempts to shut him down, they have failed. He put up over 200 yards week one. And this past week, he still put up another great outing. This guy is putting up receptions, putting up yards, and putting up big plays for the Ole Miss offense. If you are looking for a receiver that could really step in and be your slot receiver, Elijah Moore is the guy to have because he is going to be underrated probably all of draft season, yet this guy is a complete stud. Going forward, we have the linebacker-edge hybrid Zavin Collins out of Tulsa. The guy is 6'4", 260 pounds, has extremely long arms. When you watch on film, you notice him right away. As a linebacker, he racks up tackles all game. As an edge rusher, he's able to get to the passer. I think this guy offers a lot of versatility in today's NFL. That's huge. So getting a guy like Zayvon Collins, probably day two, maybe early day three, you're getting a guy that can really produce no matter where you want him to play at and Defensive coordinators will love that. Teams maybe that will potentially be switching schemes around are going to want guys like Collins that can play both spots. I think 
The biggest thing that will hold him back is just his overall speed. He's a little bit slower than you'd like, so maybe a team that has the Patriots-style defense, whether it's the Patriots themselves or a team like Miami, maybe a team like the Giants. I don't think the Lions or Texans are going to keep their Patriots roots. So those three teams, you're looking at a guy like Zavin Collins who has produced as well as he has, and he could potentially come in and be a surprise contributor very early as compared to his draft stock, which is a little bit lower. And then for my last underrated guy, we got Toman Fox, the linebacker out of North Carolina, putting up about uh, – sorry, weighing in at about 255 pounds. He is a bit smaller than you may want at 6'2", nothing that's going to write him off or anything, but he has been a key contributor. You look at how well Surratt's done for North Carolina, but Fox has some great plays as well. I think he's a day three guy that's going to be a key piece for a team going forward and will stick around on a roster for quite some time. Yeah, I, uh, Zayvon Collins, he's really impressive to me. Very athletic for a guy that's six foot four, 260 pounds as a linebacker. He could, uh, he could definitely move around the field. Uh, you know, he, he could cover those wide receivers, Fiesta, of course, tight ends, keeps pace with the running backs. Uh, he's just very, very mobile. I think that's because as a kid, he was a, a gymnast. And I think he has plans to go to medical school, but I think he's going to put that on a hold because I think he's going to have a, a real good chance to have a nice career in the NFL, Michael. Yeah, and he's got some long arms that really help his wingspan. As a hybrid linebacker edge position guy, he racked up 97 tackles combined. So, you know, when you look at that, you, you're looking at most of these key linebackers putting up, you know, 120 tackles, and that's like a big season. When you're doing it, when you're rotating between the edge and linebacker position, it kind of shows you this guy could be playing the linebacker spot and meeting expectations at a star level, but he's doing both and continuing to produce at a high level. So those kind of pieces that you can plug in anywhere and really find success with, that's huge in the NFL. So I think Zayvon Collins is going to find a lot of teams are a lot higher on him than what we've seen from the media so far. No doubt about it. All right, let's look at Thursday Night Football real quick here. Obviously, we're not going to be on before that game. So the Buccaneers take out of the Bears. I just mentioned how I think uh, Foles really shouldn't be starting for the Bears. What have you seen so far out of the Buccaneers with Tom Brady and Gronkowski and everybody? And Fournette was out yesterday, but, of course, he's there as well. Uh, what have you liked? What haven't you liked? And what do you think they should be looking to improve on here going forward? I think last week was a big week for the Bucs. Brady has had success against the Chargers before, as we've seen. So it was big to come back in a game where you struggle. I think a lot of people were kind of saying, you know, with Brady's interceptions that have happened so far, he had, I think, four games with a pick six. So there were questions, you know, what are we really gaining from Brady right now that we didn't have with Winston? I think Winston offered a little bit more arm strength, a little bit more highlight plays. He had some turnovers, yeah, but Brady hasn't really come through yet. And I think this last game, Brady really kind of showed what Brady can do. Had some outstanding plays, even with Godwin out, even with the injuries that happened all throughout the offense. We saw Mike Evans come through and have a great game. We are going to continue to see that. I think against the Bears, Mike Evans will have the capability of 
showing out against Jalen Johnson, who's had a strong rookie season so far. But, you know, I think the ability to fight back into a game was huge for the Bucs to really gain some confidence going forward. And now this team is in prime position to get up to four and two on the season, I believe. And coming against a Bears team that is now kind of questioning themselves after a bad outing against the Indianapolis Colts, I think it's big that Brady and the Bucks offense continue to succeed and really build some momentum for going forward. Yeah, I think uh, five five touchdown game for the first time since 2017. Looks like they're going to be rolling. Uh, Saints got their their mojo back this week as well. So we're going to be looking at those two to battle out. I think they're both getting to the playoffs pretty easily. Uh, and the other thing that I just wanted to to touch on here is we got the Pac-12 schedule was released and. Uh, the most interesting thing to me was that there's going to be a 9 a.m. local time kickoff between Arizona State and USC on November 7th. That way they can get that game on at 12 p.m. on Fox. Uh, it's interesting how they're doing that. I think they want to just get as much exposure as they can since they're starting two weeks later in the Big Ten. Uh, and I think originally, you know, an original schedule, I think USC and Oregon was going to – face each other, but I don't think they're scheduled to play at all uh, in the seven-game schedule. Obviously, those are probably the two favorites right there as far as who's going to come out of the big, the big, uh, the Pac-12. Uh, I believe that uh, Arizona coach Kevin Sumlin tested positive on Monday for COVID-19, so you got to see how that's going to impact Arizona as they get ready for the, the season here and He's entering his third season with the university and training camp is scheduled to begin this Friday. So I wonder, Michael, how much of an impact it will be on the team not having their coach there as training camp starts up. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at Arizona, they have a key player in Gunner or it's, it's Gunnel. Sorry. He has proven to be a stud so far as a freshman and Arizona is going to look to build on that without someone there early. It could hurt. I assume he's going to be on some iPad. Maybe they'll have a little robot under the iPad letting them move around. We'll see, but it's it's definitely going to be different without someone there right away. Hopefully he can recover quickly and get back to the team as quickly as possible. This Arizona Wildcats team is continuing to build towards their, you know, really peak and what they hope will be their highest season. So bringing in a guy like uh, someone – was a key piece of that because they saw some of the success they had at Texas A&M and they were hoping that he could kind of reinvent that at Arizona with higher ceiling, hopefully, in their mind. And I think this is a big year towards doing that. You have some key pieces that are now returning that have really established themselves as stars for the team. And now we'll see what happens. And, you know, any time off isn't ideal, but I think it's it's nice that it's happening now in the offseason as compared to if you were to be missing, you know, a key game against, you know, USC. Yeah, I think that makes a lot, makes a lot of sense there. There's still time to, re- to cover that, recover there. Uh, I'm keeping an eye on is week one, USC taking on Arizona State. Uh, Keaton Slovis taking on Jaden Daniels, Arizona State. Uh, I really think – Arizona State is moving in the right direction here under Herm Edwards. I think they could definitely come out here. Uh, USC might be overlooking this game and get the win, but 
What do you what do you think of, of those two guys, Caden Caden Slavis and Jaden Daniels? Yeah, so for Caden Slavis, I think this is a huge game for him to really establish himself as the QB that a lot of people have believed in him to be. I think he has proven to have a great freshman year. And now with Graham Harrell and him having another year to work together with this offense, there's going to be hopefully fireworks for this USC team. The talent has always been there. The recruiting has come easy for USC coaches because a lot of these people that are playing now grew up watching USC dominate. They grew up watching Reggie Bush, Matt Leinert, and even guys like Matt Barkley have some great seasons for this USC team. There's a lot of tradition here, so there's going to continue to be some great recruits coming in. And now this year with Graham Harrell running his offense for a second year, I think we're going to see some great plays out of this offense. You look at Slavis, you look at guys like Vaughn's, Amon St. Ra, uh, or Amon Ra St. Brown. You, I mean, there's just there's weapons galore for this USC team. And, you know, I think with Slavis at the helm, they should be able to have a great year. And I think whenever you look at Oregon's schedule as well, you know, Stanford, Washington State, UCLA, Oregon State, California, Washington, I think that Washington game is really going to be the toughest one on that schedule. Maybe UCLA if Dorian Thompson, Robinson, and Chip Kelly really get going. But it's going to be interesting to see. I think Oregon has had some interesting opt-outs that are going to hurt their chances. But at the same time, if they can put together a 6-0 season, really look dominant in that regard, they could find themselves looking at a potential playoff spot if there's more chaos that happens, similar to what we've seen in the Big 12. If we see Oklahoma State lose, Big 12 is out, and now they're really just kind of looking for one of Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia to really lose, and they could find themselves right in there. Yeah, I think Oregon's the favorite uh, coming out of the, the Pac-12, but I just don't think that – a 7-0 and team holds the same weight as maybe a 9-1 team. Uh, that's, that's just the way I look at it. I mean, they three less games. I think, that, I think that should hurt them. And I don't even know what the deal is this year. I think as of now, they don't even know either. But it doesn't look like there's going to be any bowl games, Michael, right? It's just going to be yeah. it's going to be the college football playoff, and that's it. Yeah, and, you know, if there are bowl games, maybe it'll be some of the bigger ones, but we're going to definitely see some games taken out. You know, we've already seen some of the smaller-level bowl games opt out of the season, really cancel, postpone, whatever you want to call it. I think we're going to see that for the most part. I think maybe some of the larger bowl games, such as, you know, Fiesta, Rose Bowl, the non-playoff but still big bowl games, I think – we will most likely have a chance of seeing those. But when you're talking about, you know, the Cheez-Its Bowl, stuff like that, we're probably not going to be seeing it this year. And while it sucks for some of these teams that maybe don't have much of a chance at bowl games besides those games, it's still uh, probably the safest way of going about it. But there's still a lot of time between now and bowl season, so maybe we'll get some other games. We could see – Things like the New Orleans Bowl and stuff like that, where maybe they're a little more passive about their regulations and followings of COVID guidelines and stuff like that. We could see maybe some changes between that. But we have already seen things like the Hawaii Bowl, where 
we've already seen it canceled. So I think we'll see a lot of the smaller level bowl games canceled, but hopefully there's some chances for mid-major programs still to find some postseason games. I think I saw last week that, probably not for this year, but it looks like moving forward they're going to try to adapt a model where it's not based on your win-loss record. It's based on your academic eligibility record in order to see if a school is going to make a bowl game. And I think that's really interesting because it's going to help some lesser schools with recruiting perhaps because then they'll say, oh, at least I've got a national platform. Um, Whereas if you're going to a school that's maybe a mid-major, um, that might be good, but you know, if they're not going to be academically eligible for a bowl game, you might look to, to play elsewhere. I don't know if that's going to pass when it comes to everyone voting on that, but I saw that last week and that was pretty interesting. Yeah, and it'll be weird to see what happens. It's going to be interesting for sure. I think, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of changes throughout the years with rules on how they go about postseason. I think we'll eventually see a playoff expansion. I think we'll eventually see some of the bowl games, you know, either cut out or maybe expand on how many bowl games there are. I think a lot of guys that make decisions for college football want to see more of it, regardless of if they think or if fans think people are worthy, if they're stepping in as the, you know, five and seven playoff team with a great academic record or not. But you know, the chance to see some of these guys get to play more football in what may be their final game, what may be, you know, a few extra games to their career that they'll never get to play anymore, or what may be just one more game in a long career of many. It's just fun to see guys get the chance to play the game. And, you know, I'm never going to be against it. Even <laughs> if I decide not to watch it, I'm still going to be rooting for these guys to have their chance to play more football. Yeah, and a lot of times, well, you know, that's that's it for these guys that are seniors. They play their whole career for those bowl games, and they want that last opportunity to go to the bowl game. And it's a big thing for them. They get to travel. They get a, they get a nice ring or a trophy if they win the bowl game. Uh, in general, I think there's too many bowls, but uh, it's always it's always fun to at least say, oh, I'm getting rewarded by at least going to get to play that extra game. Uh, on a national spotlight, uh, but that's gonna that's gonna be something to keep an eye on. And for a look at the game of football from a coaching, scouting, administrative perspective, go to LandryFootball.com today. From high school, college to the NFL, from recruiting to the NFL draft to free agency, from pregame to postgame film analysis, all the inside scoop on players, teams, coaches, and schemes. LandryFootball.com is your source for all things football. Thank you for joining, and please help us spread the word as you can catch us on the Chris Landry Twitch channel at www.twitch.tv slash chrislandryfootball. And you can listen to this podcast on your mobile device by signing up for Landry Football's conference call wherever you get your podcast. So, Michael, that's, that's going to do it for us here, and, of course, for our listeners, Brian will be back on Friday to give his picks uh, for the weekend. And Michael gave you some prospects. Thank you to uh, all of our commenters today. It was a good show, and uh, we appreciate your support as always. Yeah, everyone have a good one. Destination Draft Day, we got a long trip to the draft, but we're here for the entire ride. Nick Durst, Michael Rockman, thanks for joining us. Have a good one, guys.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.